Okay, let's read chapter 15 of The Wheel on the School, uh, read with permission from HarperCollins. Chapter 15, Storks in the Sea. It turned out to be little Jan who remembered to tell about the two storks that had flown down into the sea. His mother had carried him into the house, and now things were quieting down. Jan stood at the window to watch the big boys and Lena, and Lena troop off to school to finish the interrupted morning session. The nice, quiet-spoken teacher, who had carried him down all the ladders, had told the big boys and Lena to get right back to school. But Yella hadn't followed the teacher. He had run back to the dike. Jan knew what for, to get the storks. But Linda had said they were the wrong storks. Yella had run off, but Alka had gone to the kitchen to fix himself a slice of bread with syrup. Alka came hurrying through the house to run after the others. He was biting his syrup bread. There came Yella, too, far down the street with the two big storks. Look, Alka, Jan called after his brother. He's got storks. Storks, Alka said. He stopped in his tracks. What are you talking about? Yella's got storks, but he hasn't got the right storks because the two live ones flew down in the sea. They stood in the sea. Alka wasn't even listening. He'd rushed to the window. He pulled the curtains aside. Dead, Alka said in a queer voice, but he was talking to himself. Drowned in the storm. Shall I show you where the other two storks are, Alka? Jan said helpfully. He eyed Alka's slice of bread. Alka wasn't even eating it. What in the world are you talking about? Alka said impatiently. Storks in the sea. Honest, Alka? Alka looked hard at him. You're not just making this up? He said. Oh, no, Alka, Jan said earnestly. Yellow was passing the house with the storks. Alka started to run out of the house after him. Then Alka turned to his younger brother. Does Linda know? He asked. Oh, sure. Linda, being a little girl, knew ten times more words than Jan. Linda could explain herself. I'll go ask Linda, Alka said. May I have your bread, Alka? You're not eating it. Here, Alka handed it to his brother and hurried next door to question Linda. Oh, I forgot, Linda said in amazement, to think she'd forgotten. I told Lena when I was in the tower, but she didn't hear me, and then I forgot. But two storks flew and flew, and then they flew down in the sea. I saw them, and I showed Jan. You can see them from the tower, Alka. Alka rushed out of the house. Yella was far down the street. Yella, Yella, come here. Come along with me. The kids saw storks fly down in the sea. Sure, I've got them, Yella hollered back. Live storks. They saw them fly. Hurry. Yella came sprinting. Halfway back to Alka, he took time to lay the storks down beside the steps of a stoop, and then he came on again. They saw two storks come flying toward shore. The way I make it out, and landed in the sea, Alka explained urgently. Maybe they landed somewhere on a sandbar. I don't know, but they say two storks were standing in the sea. Come on. The two boys raced to the dike. They searched the sea, but the dike wasn't high enough. They were just looking against the crests of leaping waves. In the distance where they knew the sandbar lay, they could see nothing but dark water. Yella saw the dinghy, which had been left behind by the fishing fleet. It rode restlessly at its short anchor rope below the dike. Let's take the dinghy and row out there. In that kind of sea? Gosh, Yella, we can't go out on the say-so of two kids. Alka looked at the tower. They were both so sure. Wonder if the teacher locked the tower door in all the excitement. He was carrying Jan. You can see he locked the gate to the churchyard all right, Yella said. Yes, but you're tall. You could boost me up over the churchyard fence. If I could get up in the tower... They raced down the dike to try the plan. 
Alka kicked his wooden shoes off, and Yella boosted him as high as he could, could up the woven wire fence. Alka could just barely grab the top of the fence. He clung there a moment. Then, with Yella giving a savage shove at his heels, he swung his legs high and man managed to vault over the top. He barely cleared it. There was a ripping sound as he caught in the fence for a second. He fell down and hard inside the churchyard. Made it, he gasped. After giving his torn trousers a hasty glance, Alka picked himself up and dashed to the tower. The door was unlocked. Wait there for me, Alka yelled and disappeared inside. Yellow stood staring up at the tower until his neck ached. At last, Alka's excited voice came from high in the tower. Yella! Yella! They're here! They're here! There! They're there! I saw them playing. One was flapping and struggling. Maybe they're stuck in the sand. Run and tell them at school. Tell Janish, too. And get the dinghy ready. Tell the teacher to open the gate for me. And Yella wasn't listening to all the instructions. Yella was running hard. Up in the bell loft, Alka hurried to the ladder to go down, but then he had to look at the storks just once more. He stared hard at the roiling sea, and then he found the storks again. They were far out at sea, out toward the islands. Far behind them, the lighthouse at the end of one island rose dimly white and round like a chalky crayon. The waves leaped gray and spooky under the dark sky. Only now and then, when the waves were leveled out before the sandbar, did the storks emerge from the grayness like two white blots. Then one stork began flapping its wings. The motion of its huge wings made it suddenly stand out clear. Amazingly, it rose and flew heavily above the sandbar, but its mate did not rise after it. The big stork flapped down again beside the other one. They stood side by side, lonely in the gray of the endless, restless sea. Alka ran to the tower opening that overlooked the village. He stared over the roofs at the distant school. Nothing stirred there. They had to hurry. Ah, there was Janish now. There he came in the wheelchair down the empty street. A coil of rope was draped over the back of his chair. At the bottom of the dike, Janish sat helpless. The dike stopped him. Janish looked up at the sky. Now his eyes turned to the tower clock. Al could guess what he was doing. He was making a reckoning of the time for the flood tide to come. There couldn't be much time, for now Janish whirled his chair around impatiently and looked back down the street. There they came at last, the boys and Lena racing far out ahead of the teacher. Janish did not wait for the teacher. He had the four boys carry him and his chair up the dike steps. Lena pushed with all her strength against the back of the chair. Now the teacher was there, too. He grabbed the chair with Lena. Up Janish went. Once on the top of the dike, he rolled himself headlong down the slope of the dike toward the sea. Oh, Janish knew. He was wasting no time. Good old Janish, Alka said in his utter relief. They were forgetting him. Alka started to yell at the group below the dike, but suddenly he reconsidered. It was far more important that they got the dinghy out. Now Janish had Yellow wade into the sea to bring the dinghy to the foot of the dike. Much water was standing against the dike even in the last hour of ebb tide. Big Yellow wrestled the boat to the dike. Hey, they were lifting Janish into the boat. Janish himself was going out. That's why Janish had brought the rope. The teacher lashed Janish to the seat. Janish had thought of it. No one else would have. As he had no balance, Janish had to be tied down. Otherwise, when he pulled on the oars, he'd go flat on his back in the bottom, into the bottom of the boat. Now Yella and the teacher got into the seat ahead of Janish's seat. Alka could see Janish handing the teacher a glove. Janish had even thought of that. But that was right, too. The teacher's hands were soft. Without gloves, they'd blister and be useless long before the hard pull to the sandbar was over. 
Amazingly, Lena was going along too. She was stepping into the back of the boat, and Pierre, Pierre climbed, clambered into the front. But Ilka and Dirk were staying behind. Why Pierre and Lena? Oh, they were the smallest, the lightest. That must be it. Yes, that would be it. Pierre and Lena were going along to hold the wild storks while the others rowed. Oh, Janusz had thought of everything. Good old Janusz. Now Ilka and Dirk were shoving the boat clear of the dike. Janusz was flailing his oars mightily. Now the two in front were catching the rhythm of the oar stroke. The boat crept ahead and moved steadily away from the dike. It would be a long, hard journey. Alka hurried back to the seaside of the tower. When at last the waves let him see the storks again, the two white birds were standing like sentinels. They weren't flapping their wings anymore. They weren't struggling. And Alka suddenly realized he was bone cold. He shivered and hurried back to the village side of the tower to see what Dirk and Ilka were doing. They were running along the dike toward the tower, and Dirk was waving something. They had the key to the churchyard gate. Teacher hadn't forgotten him. Alka hurried down the ladders in the tower. In the dinghy, no one talked. The two men and Yella had to strain too hard at the oars for talk. The heavy work, the wash, and the unevenness of the fall and rise of the waves made it impossible for the inexperienced teacher to dip his oars in cleanly and pull at just the right time. He was doing his best, using every fiber of his untrained muscles. You couldn't ask more of the man. Janusz bent his powerful body a little harder to the task of forcing the boat ahead. Now and then, dipping in among the troughs and rising the, on the crest of a wave, Lena in the stern could see Pierre's head rising above the rowing men. Pierre was keeping his eyes firmly fixed on the tower. Always when Pierre's face bobbed up again, he was looking at the tower, never at the sea and the waves. His face was greenish, strained, but his lips were pale. Pierre was fighting seasickness. Even when riding the crest of a long wave, Lena could nowhere catch sight of the storks or the sandbar. The sea was an endlessly tossing mass. The sky was dark and somber. Sometimes the tip of the lighthouse was penciled white against the sky, then it sank into the sea again. Only Janusz would know the distance to and the exact location of the sandbank, but Janusz was grimly silent. Suddenly, he took his eyes off the two rowers ahead of him and flashed a look back at the tower and clock. He silently rowed on for a few minutes. Teacher, he said impatiently, drop back, crawl over to Lena and rest a while. Without a word, Yella slid into the center of the seat the moment the teacher moved. He grabbed the teacher's oar. Janusz began grunting and counting out a new rhythm he was, set, he was setting to push the boat ahead harder. Yella fell into the rhythm at once. His powerful young back moved naturally in unison with the broad back of Janusz. The four oars dipped and flashed together. You can see he's the son of a fisherman, the exhausted teacher said to Lena. Lena nodded. Her eyes searched the sea in the hope of finding something white against among the gray waves. Again, Janusz glanced back at the tower. Twenty minutes, he muttered. In another twenty minutes the flood tide starts, and then we won't be going anywhere but back to the dike, and those storks will go under. Kid, if you ever rode, rode now. Row now. Can we make it in 20 minutes in this sea? The teacher asked. I'm setting a course that'll get us behind the sandbanks, Janusz said. Once they're ahead of us, they'll break the force of the waves. It won't be so royally then, and we should make it. When Lena looked back again, she had made herself wait until she had seen Pierre's head rise up 12 times. The face of the clock was blurry. They were moving. If you did it that way, you could see the progress. The boat wasn't just rising and falling and, and dancing. 
Janusz and Yella were really pulling the boat ahead. Oh, they were strong. Pierre kept his eyes away from the greenish waves in the water. He still looked only at the tower. The sweat was rolling down his sick face, but he stubbornly wasn't letting the seasickness get the best of him. Here we go, Janusz said at last, although it was noticeable to no one else. Now, Yella, ten more good strokes and we're in the lee of the banks. Come on, boy. At the end of the ten strokes, they all felt it, sensed it, although they could not really see it. But the great force of the waves seemed to be broken here. It was easy to tell that the boat forged ahead. Without a word to anyone, the teacher crawled back to his seat at the oar. As the teacher started to row, there was a sudden rush and swirl of water. A swelling came to the whole sea. They rose, the whole sea rose. The ground swell of the tide had come. This was the beginning of the flood tide. The tide, Pierre yelled. They were the first words he had spoken. Now row, Janusz said fiercely. Row like crazy. Chop it ahead. In a matter of seconds, the high back of a sandbar rose out of the water before them. Pierre twisted around and stood up. Clinging with one hand to the side of the boat, he stretched as high as he dared to look over the sandbar for the storks. Lena expected Janusz to yell at him to sit down. But instead, Janusz told Pierre, That's right. Stand ready. Jump and run up that bank with the anchor the moment you think you can make it. Then go for those storks. Pierre turned and stared at Janusz in open-mouthed unbelief. That's right, Janusz said. That sand's solid. I've been on it many a time. The real tide is just rolling in past the lighthouse right now. You've got time. The boat's bow shot up the bank and grounded in the sand. Pierre jumped and landed hard with the heavy anchor. He held the anchor up against his chest and carried it partway up the bank where he dropped it. He looked to Janusz for further instructions and assurance. You've got three minutes, by my reckoning. In three minutes, the flood tide will be rolling over this bank. Get going, Janusz said. Pierre looked scared, but he turned and scrambled up the bank. For a moment, he stood on top of the bridge. They're here! They're here! he screamed. They're alive, but they're up to their necks in water. Grab them, Janusz called hoarsely. Grab them by their necks and drag them here. They won't fight. They're done in. Quick now, kid, or you'll all three drown. With a last scared look at the boat, Pierre disappeared. It was a tense, awful wait. The empty sand rose before them. Pierre had vanished as if he'd sunk into the sea. Hidden from sight by the high ridge of sand, but thunderous in their ears, the wall of flood tide water came rolling toward them in one great roar. It's coming, Janusz said. He dug his oar into the sand and shoved the stern of the boat around so the boat would be lying broadside to the bank when Pierre should come. Drag that anchor in. I'll hold the boat with the oar, he called the yellow. Just get the anchor. Don't you go over the ridge. That kid'll be lucky if he has time to make one jump for the boat. What's keeping him? Then, from behind the ridge, they heard a shout. Janusz! Janusz, the tide! Janusz! Janusz, forgetting himself, strained at the ropes as if to rise and run for Pierre. At that moment, Pierre's head appeared over the ridge. He came running wildly ahead of the rolling wall of water that seemed to thunder right behind him. He came plunging down the bank. His eyes horrified and huge. Huge. He was he was dragging two storks by their necks. Their wings flapped feebly. Jump, kid, jump! Pierre jumped. Lena caught one of the storks as it swung toward her. Pierre crumpled into the bottom of the boat at her feet, still clutching the other stork. He lay there sobbing. They fought me. They wouldn't come, and they were so heavy and sunk in the sand, he said over and over. Then he was suddenly angry. Janusz, it wasn't solid. I sank in too, and the water came. 
Janusz was too busy to answer. He ripped his oar out of the sand and pushed the boat free. The flood tide rushed over the sandbar like a hissing, seething waterfall. But the boat was free. Behind the bank, the flood tide seized it, and the boat shot ahead. Swiftly, the boat was carried forward on the tide. I guess I didn't figure with the storm, Janusz told Pierre. Those five days of storm must have left all kinds of sticky sea silt on that sand. But you made it, didn't you? Lena sat with the stork in her lap. Pierre crouched at her feet, and a last sob forced its way out of him. He breathed deeply. He pulled himself up on the seat next to Lena and held the other stork in his lap. He and Lena sat very still. They looked. They sat looking at the great white birds, half dead, half drowned. Only a dim flicker in the eyes showed they were still alive. Pierre softly stroked the long neck of his stork. Lena hugged her stork to her as if it, as if to warm it. It was unbelievable. Storks in their laps. Great strange birds that flew over oceans and seas and continents were lying here in their laps. Pierre and Lena looked at each other, an odd, astounded look. Then they looked at the storks again, trying to believe it. They were unaware that the boat, riding rapidly out on the sweep of the tide, was nearing the dike and the tower. Hey, hold their necks, Janusz suddenly warned. They're still wild, even if they are pretty meek now. But, but with those bills, they can knock holes in you two kids. Lena looked up alarmed. Pierre didn't listen, but went on stroking the long, stretched-out neck of the white bird for which he had almost given his life. It couldn't be believed. We've got two storks, he mumbled queerly to Lena, as if only now was the fact beginning to dawn on him. Suddenly, Dirk, Alka, and Ilka were yelling at them from the dike. Pierre and Lena looked up, startled. They were back. Here was the dike. And there stood not only Dirk, Ilka, and Alka, but all the women and all the little children and Dawa, even Grandmother Sybil stood there. All of shore was on the dike. When Dawa had returned from his long walk to Ternod, he had come striding along the dike, and had come striding along the dike. Alka, Dirk, and Ilka had shouted the good news to him, all three shouting at one time. Look, Dawa said when they, when at last he understood what they were trying to tell him. Look, we've got to figure out that they'll make it back with the storks. With Janusz there, they should make it. They'll be coming back with a couple of half-dead storks. But wild storks, just the same. Those birds are not going to like being manhandled, so we've got to get ladders to the school and put those birds on the wheel the moment the boat lands. After that, it'll be up to the storks. My guess is that after what those poor beasts went through, they'll be so beat anything will look like home to them. The sooner we get them up on that wheel the more likely they are to settle down and stay in shore. Janusz had ladders, they all knew, but Janusz was out in the boat, and the shed where the ladders were stored was probably locked. They raced to Janusz's house just the same, with Dawa, his stout cane tapping, walking sturdily behind them. The shed was locked. Break the door down, Dawa ordered. The three boys looked at him. Break into a shed that belonged to Janusz? Old Dawa chuckled. I'll take the responsibility. I don't think Janusz will take me over his knee. When the boys still hesitated, Dawa himself marched up to the door. Using his stout cane as a pry bar, he inserted the tip of it under the hasp of the lock. The staple that held the hasp came squeaking out of the doorpost. Dawa went into the shed, and the boys followed him. They hurried out with the ladders. The noise they made brought Grandmother Sybil III to her back door. I'd call that breaking and entering, she called out from her back stoop. And Dawa, at your age, you ought to know better. It's for a good cause, Sybil, Dawa answered her. There's storks coming to shore, Sybil. 
the first since you and I were kids, but these are coming by boat. Over the high board fence, Dawa explained the situation to the old lady. Her eyes sparkled. Now that I've got to see. For that, I'll go up on that dike, even if the wind blows me over. But I could use your stick, Dawa. Dawa handed his cane over the fence. You're getting old, Sybil. The boys were already far down the street with the two ladders. Well, I've got work to do, Dawa said. He went back into the shed, came out with a coil of rope, and followed the boys. When Dawa arrived at the school, Dirk and Alka had already placed the first ladder against the wall of the school. Under Dawa's direction, they carried up the second ladder and shoved it up on the roof. Dawa threw them the rope. They lashed the second ladder to the first and to the wagon wheel on the ridge of the roof. The boys worked quickly. They were anxious to get back to the dike. Ilka had mysteriously disappeared. Now smoke belched out of the school chimney. Bits of paper blew up and rained down on Dirk and Alka on the roof. What's he doing that for? Dirk yelled at Dawa. Ilka came out of the school, rubbing his black hands and beating the peat dust off his trousers. He was proud to have thought of building a fire in the school stove. Those storks stood in cold water for hours after fighting all that storm. They may need some warmth to put life back in them, he said. Well, well, old Dawa said in surprise. What don't you kids think of? Baking storks. Finally, Dirk and Alka climbed down the ladders. The three boys immediately charged off toward the dike. Old Dawa was unceremoniously left behind. He marched after them. In the village street, the two dead storks lying beside the stoop of his own house caught Dawa's eye. He sternly called the three boys back. Durka had to get two shovels out of Yanlish's shed. Alka and Ilka were sent off with the storks to the churchyard below the tower. When Dirk came with the shovels, Dawa made the, the boys dig a small grave right inside the gate of the churchyard. But should we do this on government property? Alka said doubtfully. We've done so much that that's illegal the last hour. A little more won't hurt, I guess, Dawa said, unconcerned. And who's to know? He tipped his head toward the dike. All the women of shore were gathered on top of the dike, all staring out at sea. The little children were with their mothers, even though Grandmother Sybil III stood there, protected from the wind by the huddle of women. Oh, I wonder how they're coming, Yuka said. Dawa shrugged. You'll find out the minute you've got those storks buried. Can't leave dead storks lying around. If those two storks they're bringing in should start to fly around Shora and see the carcasses of their cousins, they might not feel so good about Shora. They might want to get out as fast as they could. That was all they needed. Alka and Dirk dug with a will, but they were too impatient to dig a very deep hole. After the storks were placed in the grave, the sod was replaced and trampled down. The boys could not wait another minute. They dropped their shovels and dashed to the dike. As old Dawa stooped to pick up the shovels, a great shout went up. Dawa let the shovels lie and went as fast as he could toward the dike. Everybody from the top of the dike had rushed down to the sea. Dawa mounted the crest just in time to see the three boys grab the sides of the dinghy and pull it close to the dike. Lena jumped out with a stork in her arms. After her, Pierre came with another stork. They raced up the dike with the three boys jumping around them like eager dogs. Yella and the teacher had climbed out of the boat and now walked after the group. The women clambered up the dike. Back in the boat, Yanish let out an enraged bellow. Everybody had forgotten about him, tied down to his seat. Get that anchor up the dike. Get that wheelchair down here and get me out. Don't I count for anything around here anymore? Old Dawa and the teacher went to Yanish's rescue. The others marched over the top of the dike without so much as looking back. 
Grandmother Sybil was left behind, too, in, in the excitement. In the group that set off for the school, no one had thought for anything for, but the storks. Ilka, Dirk, and Alka were trying to tell Pierre and Lena what they had done to ready for the storks, but kept interrupting themselves with eager questions about the storks. The five boys and Lena raced on. They left the women far behind. Still farther behind, the teacher and Dawa were inching the wheelchair down the dike. Janusz sat fuming and raging, as eager and impatient as any of the children. I could have drowned or starved there in that boat, just so those two storks were all right, he said. Calm yourself, Janusz, you did your part, Grandmother Sybil III told him. But she was doing her own level best, with the aid of Dawa's cane, to hurry before the wheelchair. At the school, Janusz came into his own again. The whole group was waiting for him, uncertain whether or not to put the half-drowned, bone-cold storks up on the wheel or to warm them first in the schoolroom by, by Ilka's fire. They shouted the perplexing question at Janusz. Janusz made them wait until his wheelchair had been pushed right among them. Then he had to consider for a maddeningly long time. Well, if I was a stork and had just come out of, a, out of hot Africa and then had a storm knock the tar out of me for five days and nights, and on top of that had sat a, on a cold sandbar with the water spitting me in the eye, if I was a stork, I'd want to sit on that stove. Pierre and Lena immediately carried the storks inside. Janusz was the authority. Chairs were hastily shoved near the stove for Pierre and Lena. They seated themselves and held the storks carefully in their laps. What did I tell you? Get one hand around those necks, Janusz suddenly said, bellowed from the doorway. When those fellows come alive, they could peck your eyes out. You carry them all the way, Alka and Ilka were begging. Pierre and Lena, now let us hold them a while. Lena looked so tight-lipped and stubborn, they centered their attention on Pierre. Come on, Pierre, Dirk said. If you can't even let your own brother... Let him alone, all of you, Janusz told them fiercely. He risked his neck to get them off that sandbar. Lena, um, Lena sat quietly, looking down at her stork. She had to hold herself very quiet, absolutely still, or she'd burst out and scream and laugh and cry. It was so unbelievable, so wonderful, sitting in school with a stork in her lap. Storks in school, storks in Shora. She bent deep over her stork and cried a little and stroked its long white neck. Behind Lena, old Dawa was explaining to Janusz what they had done to get ready for the storks how they'd broken into Janusz's shed and used his ladders, rope, and shovels. Janusz did not seem to be too attentive. When the teacher standing beside him heard about the burial of the storks in the churchyard, he was shocked. But Dawa, it's government land. That's against the law. That's punishable. It belongs to the state and the queen. He was scandalized. They'll have to come out of there. Janusz twisted his wheelchair to face him. So it's government property. So they dig a little hole. So the queen won't like it. Well, let the queen come and dig them up and drag them off to Amsterdam and bury them behind the palace. Janusz suddenly realized what he was saying. He guffawed. The picture of the queen dragging the storks down all the roads to Amsterdam and digging a little hole behind the palace filled him with delight. He roared with laughter. Everybody tried to quiet him. Janusz, the storks, you'll scare the storks. Huh, Janusz said. If they're used to lions roaring all around them, they won't mind Janusz. He threw his head back again to laugh. At the stove, Lena's stork struggled in her arms, struggled wildly. Its long neck and wild eyes rose high above her. Janusz's laugh stopped in his mouth. Grab him, Yala, grab that neck, he cried, and up with him on the wheel, quick. 
Now that the blood's running in their veins again, come on, Pierre. Pierre and Yala jumped to his orders. They remembered Janusz's cautioning and kept a hand around the long necks. The stork under Yella's arm struggled wildly, trying to twist free from his grasp. Don't choke him, you young idiot, Janusz said sternly. Up on the ladder, Yella had to let go his hold on the stork's neck. He needed both hands to climb the ladder. With the big stork tucked under one arm, he climbed up. Pierre followed right behind him. On the roof, they had to crawl slowly along the ladder. Suddenly, Yella's stork began fiercely pecking at his head. Yella closed his eyes and let him peck. The sharp jabs knocked off Yella's cap. The stork's hard bill hammered down on his bare head. A tuft of hair came away in his bill. Yella squealed. He could take no more. He braced against the ladder, grabbed the stork with both hands, and tossed him up toward the wheel. Big white wings opened. Yella's stork landed on the rim of the wheel. Pierre handed his stork to Yella, who reached high to place the stork on the wheel. Stretching his long neck down, the big male stork angrily pecked at Yella. Yella hastily re released his mate. The male stepped over and stood above her defensively. Slowly, her head lifted. Her long neck came up. She looked at her lord and master. Loosen that rope and down with the ladders, Janusz called from below. While they're still all in, later it might scare them away. Yella lay flat on the ladder as he untied the knot in the rope underneath the wheel. Everybody helped to pull the ladders down. They laid them along the school wall. Then all retreated to the road and stood, without speaking or moving, staring up at the two storks on the wheel. The male stork stood tall and white, looking down at them. His mate had gathered her legs under her and sat squat against the hub of the wheel. The male stork circled the wheel with slow, stately steps, steadying it now and then, tapping the rim with his bill. When he had completed his inspection of the wheel, he stood tall and dignified again, looking up at the sky. His long bill opened, and he began making hard clapping sounds up into the sky. The female tilted her head and listened. She struggled to get to her feet. The male gently ran his bill along her white neck. Suddenly, he spread his wings and flew down from the roof. He landed in the schoolyard, right before the hushed crowd gathered in the road. His sharp eyes had seen a long twig. He seized it in his bill. Flapping his wings heavily in his weariness, he rose to the roof and dropped the twig on the wheel before his mate. Gravely, he bowed before her and pushed the twig closer to her. Still sitting in her exhausted huddle, she touched the twig with her bill and drew it toward her. She seemed to accept the twig as a promise of the nest they were going to build there. The male stork settled down on the wheel close beside her and closed his eyes. Down in the road, nobody said a word. The little school group stood silent, staring up at the roof of the school. Then Janusz whispered, They've shown us they're grateful. They've shown that they're going to stay and build their nest. Now let's all quietly get away from here and leave them alone. They tiptoed away, solemnly turning to look back at the storks, and Janusz rode in their midst. You can't believe it, Janusz kept whispering. You can't believe it. Storks and Shura. Not since I was a little child. Grandmother Sybil III said softly to herself. Storks and Shura, Lena repeated. But I can believe it, Janusz. It's so impossibly impossible. I can believe it now. Ah, yes, little Lena, the teacher said. So impossibly impossible that it just had to be. And the long dream, storks on every roof in Shura, 
is just beginning to come true. And that's the end of the Wheel on the School. Done with permission by HarperCollins. Thanks for listening. <laughs>